recognitions that you sometimes pretend you're overlooking or that you're distracted from. You know, when I was writing the book and I handed in the manuscript, my editor at the publishing house said, she found herself reading the manuscript and going along and saying, yes, yes, absolutely right. Yes, that's really right. But how do we get there? And I said to her, in the moments of you saying, yes, absolutely right, you're there. <laughs> it's, it's your own awakened awareness that recognizes truth when it hears it. So if any of this made sense to you, if there was any agreement whatsoever, from my way of seeing, that is awakened awareness. Just saying, yes, yes, that's, <coughs> that's true. You know it in your own heart. It's not hard to find, nothing you have to attain. So, you know, I think people make too much of this notion of um, realization or awakening. When I speak about awakened awareness, is highly accessible. Basically, just waiting there to be noticed. And celebrated, and honored, and um, treasured. You know? There's some there's some switch that happens. It happens kind of on its own, whereby you really can no longer bear just entertaining neurotic thought. <laughs> and, and there's such a taste, there's such a preference for the quietness of heart, for, for, this, for this awakened awareness. It deepens continually. It's, it's an ongoing thing. I, I, I said to my teacher, Kunjaji, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, um, you know, I said, is it still going on for you? And he said, every moment, this moment, every moment, going on and on, deepening. Yes. How do you think that all the process of um, covering up all of this awareness and covering and dumping all this neurotic thoughts and garbage on top of this kernel of truth have started and why is it so difficult for us to get rid of all the garbage on top? Well, you don't have to get <laughs> rid of it. Um, just like I was saying about the biology, you can coexist, um, but you no longer need to have its front and center stage every second, right? That the, that the madness and the neurosis and the conditioned animal, you know, fear level no longer has to be the main place that your attention is, is. And what happens is this other witnessing presence, this passionate, quiet presence, becomes more where the attention is resting. And it's like a, it's just like a shift, like I was saying. So the other may continue. I mean, in my experience, it does continue. But it, it's, it's like the balance of the volume is different now. It used to be the roar, and now it's, you know, now I liken it to, you know, you're on a train, and, and uh, you know, you're going through some fabulous countryside. And, you know, you're just, just in awe of how beautiful it is. 
And some people in the back of the train are jabbering and having a conversation, and they're just talking about this and that. And now and again, snatches of their conversation catch your awareness, and you listen for a minute. But mostly, you're just enjoying the beautiful scenery. And it becomes like that. Your old tape becomes like a radio playing in another room. And you don't have to make it stop. Another image I use, which is quite accurate, is that it, it's, um, it's like living with a crazy old aunt in the attic. <laughs> it's like, what can you do? You can't kill her. You know? <laughs> and you're certainly not going to hang on her every word. So, you know, there she is. You're coexisting. She's babbling away, you know. But you're not listening so carefully to what she's saying. So, with everything that's going on politically yeah. right now, yeah. I fluctuate between one and two. Just tune out. <clears throat> tune out, uh-huh. And feeling like I need to engage and understand what's going on. Yeah. So, how would you describe? I think that, um, that we can be engaged, we can bear witness, we can be active to the degree that we can bring awakened awareness and love in our hearts to whatever that activity is. And at the moment that you need to rest, then rest. Because if you're the exhausted, burned out caregiver, you start, you're going to start getting irritable, you're going to start getting angry, and just adding to the pile of woes. So definitely, the most effective um, strategies are informed with love, and with the caregiver um, being as best as possible, I mean, these are hard times, but as best as possible in, in uh, being nurtured by oneself. So feel free to rest when you need to rest. And that lets you fill up you know, with the energy and the clarity that you need to go on. And, you know, I know it's very compelling to watch every single nitty-gritty detail for some of us, um, but it may be useful in, the, in this time to sometimes just take a little break, um, just a little break, and whatever that means, whether it's an hour or a day or a week, check in, find your, what I call your mountain seat of freedom. Get the view clear, as Padma Sambhava said, may your view be as vast as the sky and your actions as fine as barley flour. So you've got to find ways to keep that view big. And it is a challenge now. When you talked about wonder, you um, you said that, uh, I forget what, how you put it, but the idea that be belief is not necessary or to let go of belief. Can you talk a little bit more about yes, that? Yes, I have a section called No Beliefs. I once interviewed Krishnamurti, Jake Krishnamurti, years ago, many years ago. And um, I started a question with, sir, do you believe 
And he stopped me right there. He put his hand up and he said, I don't believe in anything. And it was, I was taken aback. We actually titled the article for East West Journal, the cover story, I don't believe in anything. <clears throat> I was taken aback. How, how do you live without beliefs? And immediately it became clear. I, immediately sitting with him, it became clear that what he's speaking about is he relies entirely on his direct experience. So you can make conjectures based on experience, right? That's fair enough. But what we see in the world is a lot of people are living in total fantasy in their belief systems. <laughs> and um, it's making a mess. The belief systems clash. So when you're having to uphold a belief and prove your belief, and win out over the other beliefs, it's war. And it's war on a, on a personal scale as well. Invite the teachers now teaching, and I, I'm wondering if there are degrees of awakening <laughs> or uh, if they're all in the same place. Well, my, my premise with this, and having shared with so many people over the years, is, is that none of this is um, extraneous to any of us. These are all very obvious recognitions that you sometimes pretend you're overlooking or that you're distracted from. You know, when I was writing the book and I handed in the manuscript, my editor at the publishing house said, she found herself reading the manuscript and going along and saying, yes, yes, absolutely right. Yes, that's really right. But how do we get there? And I said to her, in the moments of you saying, yes, absolutely right, you're there. <laughs> It's, it's your own awakened awareness that recognizes truth when it hears it. So if any of this made sense to you, if there was any agreement whatsoever, from my way of seeing, that is awakened awareness. Just saying, yes, yes, that's, <coughs> that's true. You know it in your own heart. It's not hard to find, nothing you have to attain. So, you know, I think people make too much of this notion of um, realization or awakening. What I speak about awakened awareness is highly accessible. Ba basically just waiting there to be noticed. And celebrated and honored and um, treasured. You know? There's some there's some switch that happens. It happens kind of on its own, whereby you really can no longer bear just entertaining neurotic thought. <laughs> and, and there's such a taste, there's such a preference for the quietness of heart, for, for, this, for this awakened awareness. 
it deepens continually. It's, it's an ongoing thing. I, I, I said to my teacher, Pintaji, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, um, you know, I said, it, is it still going on for you? And he said, every moment, this moment, every moment, going on and on, deepening. How do you think that all the process of um, covering up all of this awareness and covering and dumping all this neurotic thoughts and garbage on top of this kernel of truth have started? And why is it so difficult for us to get rid of all the garbage on top? You don't have to get rid of it. Um, just like I was saying about the biology, you can coexist. Um, but you no longer need to have its front and center stage every second, right? That the, that the madness and the neurosis and the conditioned animal, you know, fear level no longer has to be the main place that your attention is. is. And what happens is this other witnessing presence, this passionate, quiet presence, becomes more where the attention is resting. And it's, like a, it's just like a shift, like I was saying. So the other may continue. I mean, in my experience, it does continue. But it, it's, it's like the balance of the volume is different now. It used to be the roar, and now it's, you know, now I liken it to, you know, you're on a train, and, and uh, you know, you're going through some fabulous countryside. And, you know, you're just... just in awe of how beautiful it is. And some people in the back of the train are jabbering and having a conversation and they're just talking about this and that. And now and again, snatches of their conversation catch your awareness and you listen for a minute. But mostly you're just enjoying the beautiful scenery. And it becomes like that. Your old tape becomes like a radio playing in another room. And you don't have to make it stop. Another image I use, which is quite accurate, is that it, it's, um, it's like living with a crazy old aunt in the attic. <laughs> it's like, what can you do? You can't kill her. You know? <laughs> and you're certainly not going to hang on her every word. So, you know, there she is. You're coexisting. She's babbling away, you know. But you're not listening so carefully to what she's saying. So, with everything that's going on politically right now, yeah. I fluctuate between one and two. Just tune out. <clears throat> tune out, uh-huh. And feeling like I need to engage and understand what's going on. Yeah. So, how would you describe... I think that, um, that we can be engaged, we can bear witness, we can be active to the degree that we can bring awakened awareness and love in our hearts to whatever that activity is. And at the moment that you need to rest, then rest. Because if you're the exhausted, burned out caregiver, you're, start, you're going to start getting irritable, you're going to start getting angry, and just adding to the pile of woes. So definitely, the most effective um, strategies are informed with love, and with the caregiver 
um, being as best as possible, I mean, these are hard times, but as best as possible in, in uh, being nurtured by oneself. So feel free to rest when you need to rest, and that lets you fill up you know, with the energy and the clarity that you need to go on. And, you know, I know it's very compelling to watch every single nitty-gritty detail for some of us, um, but it may be useful in, the, in this time to sometimes just take a little break. Um, just a little break. And whatever that means, whether it's an hour or a day or a week, check in. Find your, what I call your mountain seat of freedom. Get the view clear. As Padma Sambhava said, may your view be as vast as the sky and your actions as fine as barley flour. So you've got to find ways to keep that view big. And it is a challenge now. When you talked about wonder, you um, you said that uh, I forget what, how you put it, but the idea that be belief is not necessary or to let go of belief. Can you talk a little bit more about yes, that? Yes, I have a section called No Beliefs. I once interviewed Krishnamurti, Jay Krishnamurti, years ago, many years ago, and um, I started a question with, "Sir, do you believe?" And he stopped me right there. He put his hand up and he said, "I don't believe in anything." And was, I was taken aback. We actually titled the article for East West Journal, the cover story, I don't believe in anything. <clears throat> I was taken aback. How, how do you live without beliefs? And immediately it became clear. I, immediately sitting with him, it became clear that what he's speaking about is he relies entirely on his direct experience. So you can make conjectures based on experience, right? That's fair enough. But what we see in the world is a lot of people are living in total fantasy in their belief systems. <laughs> and um, it's making a mess. The belief systems clash. So when you're having to uphold a belief and prove your belief and win out over the other beliefs, it's war. And it's war on a, on a personal scale as well. So I say we can live quite well, it turns out, without beliefs. We can live very happily and just rely purely on our direct experience and speak from our direct experience. I mean, haven't you noticed the difference when somebody speaks to you from what they've lived? as opposed to what their tradition says. Isn't it a palpable difference to be in the company of someone who's speaking from the direct? My teacher used to say, a true, a true teacher gives you only, only his or her experience. All the rest are preachers. Mm -hmm. Speak from your direct experience. Live from your direct experience. And you'll see. It also, you know, it also 
enlivens your your life. You you approach things freshly. You don't see through a filter of expectation or how it's supposed to be or how it's going to turn out. You you look at it as though you just landed here. In our retreats, we have so many, uh, so many reports of, of this kind of innocence that starts to occur very naturally on its own, where the assumptions about everything, even language, starts to fall away. I, I sometimes say, in, in paraphrasing Shakespeare, I say, a rose by no name at all would smell as sweet. You just start dropping every conception that has colored anything. I, I've got to try to find something out. This opportunity to see if I'm completely lost, completely crazy. <laughs> I'm a, if I'm well, making all this up that I'm feeling inside yes. because I hear what you're saying it seems to be one half of it the good side the good stuff and there's in me there's there's a lot of stuff that's really hard yes. it's like grief comes up and just takes over. Does it? Totally I can't even over? think about myself without crying. This is brand new. That never happened to me in my life. Is how long have you been coming? Have you been coming here over the course since of Thanksgiving? Since, since Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So, so had you been doing any kind of other? Spiritual training or practice? Yeah, I had a practice for 20 years. Uh -huh. Meditation, guru, uh -huh. that kind of came to an unhappy end. And mm -hmm. I stopped practicing for mm -hmm. quite a while. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I just started practicing meditation again. Uh -huh. So sometimes what can happen is as you kind of sit down and get a look, you know, you, you start to feel yourself. And you begin to realize that you've been developing many, many strategies to be distracted from the material that is arising, the grief and the self-recrimination and so on and so forth. No, I, I don't. You don't self-recriminate. Okay. No, I, I don't think we're on the same. I don't think I'm making myself clear. I don't know if I can make any sense, if I can come anywhere near what I'm trying to talk about. Okay, well, I'm going to take I'm a completely having. different approach. I want you to see right now, in this moment, an awareness that is not touched by any of your thoughts. Is not well, that's the only reason I'm standing up here is because of that awareness. If it was just me, I'd still be sitting down there in my seat. If I yes. didn't have something saying to me, get up there and yes. try this. Yes. Okay, can you right now sense that awareness that is just perfectly at ease, is just awake? No matter what the thoughts are going by, that is not being stained or... No, it's more like by. a feeling that just wants to cry forever. 
that feeling is born of thought. There no, are some, there are some thoughts that are floating through you, or they may be old or whatever. I don't. Th no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not thought. Most emotions. You know, I, I try to practice selling shoes at Macy's. Yes. That's what I do. Yes. And sometimes I can. I can con connect with people. Yes. I can't make. No, you're, you're I'm trying to fine. talk about something I have no. You're doing fine, but I think you, you're operating on certain assumptions that are locking you in. You think that somehow you're just burdened. You're just, you know, you're just a creature who's burdened with these feelings. But I'm telling you, there is some deep program of assumptions, yeah. beliefs, or thoughts. The feelings are more of ecstatic feelings. They're not, it's not the grief of, oh my God, she's gone. Will she ever come back again? I'm so lonely I could die. It's not that. It doesn't matter what it's, 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 it's an ecstasy that comes from within it when I think about. Are you talking when, about ecstasy I, or are you talking about grief? It's the same. It's the same in me. The feeling of grief and the feeling of ecstasy are exactly the same. And I go to that, and if I, it's what Kabir, I mean, Remy says, give me that longing. Yeah, that longing he's speaking about, though, is not, it, it's not, he wouldn't define it as grief. It's sure. What I'm when speaking I to you about feel it so hard I'm, I'm going to move on. I just want to say to you, just the last thing I can say to you to help you, is that there is a presence in you right now, has been with you all along, that has not been written on, is not stained, not damaged, not contracted. If you want to keep telling yourself your story, go right ahead. If you get tired of it, your this shining presence, <laughs> then enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> What's your name? Um, this is a little off topic and I'll ask your permission usually Jack allows either one of us or asks us to give him the information about the political activity in San Francisco and the Bay Area okay please. is that all right yes of course um, this Saturday, um, there's a march in San Francisco. Um, we're going to be meeting at the, um, God, I'm getting tongue-tied for a change, San Francisco Civic Center Plaza. And anyone from Marin, if you want to get in 
to the city without having to drive and having a difficult time, which it probably will be, you can call the ferry during the week because they add extra ferries. It's really pleasant. Um, but you have to get down there and buy your ticket beforehand because it's too long of a line. And then also, you can call Marin Airporter. It's only $11, so it's $5.50 each way, and they are allotting some charters for Marin Airport to take us in. And there's a third option, which is uh, carpools at the Mill Valley, I think it's Manzanita, where you park and ride. Is that the, yeah, near the Buckaloo restaurant. But I'm not sure the time that that's happening, so I'd say if you got there around 10, you'd be okay. And um, there was one more thing. Oh, you can call the Marin Peace and Justice Coalition, and they have this information on their outgoing message. So hope to see you there, because um, George Bush has been begging everybody all day over the phone to please vote in his direction. I just want to ask you, actually, about death. Um, my family experienced a loss this morning. My grandfather died. And, um, and maybe this can help people at some point. But um, I'm just curious. While, while I was in the process with my family, I was really wanting to be present. And now my grandfather is not alive. Can I still help? <laughs> can, I, still can, I, can I be of service? Can I help my my lost loved one, and also my grieving family. I don't know. What options does our, does our practice give us? Or well, that would you definitely suggest? your clarity and calm in a time of, of loss is a great gift to all of those people left behind, all of your family. And it doesn't mean that you have to be stoic and not cry or anything like that and not show your grief but rather that, that there can be a sense of spaciousness around the way you're holding it, a kind of organic sense of death um, that allows, it just gives everyone else permission to not sort of just collapse into abject sorrow, unless they want to. Yes, of course, dear your own clarity, your own calm, your peace is always a gift to everyone around you. There more? There is. I, I'm just, you know, as my grandfather is transitioning to his next becoming, do prayers help? Do my prayers and my practice? I have, I mean, no, I have no belief system about transitioning to anywhere. So I wouldn't be the person to ask. <laughs> this is the only life I know. I just wanted to ask um, if you have found that when people are maybe moving towards embodying these seven qualities, that they often find a need to uh, withdraw and maybe create a boundary, uh, detach, I guess, maybe detachment 
where they're not feeling drawn into you know, the sadness of the war, the anger towards George Bush, or all of this. And well, it's like I was saying, there are times when you need to take a break, if you can. We're still privileged enough that we can, you know, moderate it a bit in terms of, you know, going to the peace rallies or whatever our action happens to be, whatever the manifestation is, and being able to get some rest, get some quiet, sit and be silent, and so on. Read, you know, the words of, of Gandhi or whoever inspires us. Um, we still have that option. And I say that, you know, keep nurturing the caregiver is very, very important so that you stay clear, so that you stay um, focused, and so that your actions are informed by that kind of wisdom and clarity. Um, I just want to say one more thing, and that's, it seems sometimes that that detachment is misperceived in the society. That detachment you know, detachment is, is not a word that I like to use. It's detachment. I can understand why society abhors it. Right? Because in fact, the truth is, we are very intertwined. We're very intricately enmeshed with each other just inevitable by dint of being alive and, and being loving creatures who love. We, we are attached. <laughs> so now it's a matter of, again, having that have its place. You don't have to be clutched on desperately, tightly holding on to everything you love. Your loved ones will die. You know, you're going to have so many losses along the way of all types. And it hurts, it hurts when you lose something you love or someone you love. There can be a light relationship with all that you love. So I don't use the word detachment. It used to be a, a spiritual concept that I, I attempted to have for many, many years. And it just never fit. <laughs> It seems to me that um, at least what this lady was saying um, and what you were saying about um, discernment and being aware in, in the discernment, to me that seems like a healthy non-attachment because you are you're watching yourself go through fear and you're taking yes. a step back. Yeah. And so I don't know if that clarifies anything at all or, or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> think that's... apparently that, not. I think um, <laughs> my, my question is, um, I'm having a hard trouble, a hard time with the concept of, of not having, having any beliefs. I mean, I, I pride myself in believing certain things. I mean, it's part of my... It's part of my personality, at least, at least uh, this time around. Mm -hmm. I believe in, you know, Iyengar yoga. I believe. Is that a belief or in a direct experience? 
The direct experience causes me to believe in it. Well, well we're maybe this, just some semantic difference here. Well, if you could clarify semantic, the semantic difference mm -hmm. and perhaps use a, that example or any other one that would be most Much of what you might think Thanks. you believe, in fact, that you're, that you're happy to uphold has to do with your own life experience. And then it's no longer a belief. It's your direct experience. It's not something that you have decided to just accept as a concept that you have no direct proof of yourself. Do I have any direct proof that in my quote-unquote belief is that there are certain severely deluded people who have, have subverted, subverted our democracy and are doing certain things <laughs> or else we're all having a shared hallucination. <laughs> there are other people in this country, maybe even fifty percent of the quote unquote electorate, who are not who are not experiencing that or not believing that. And so I Am I directly experiencing it? Yes, in the, collect in the collective sense I am, but not like I You're am directly a experiencing Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.